Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. There was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? This is the word of the Lord. Three months ago, our lection was from Luke 9. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He told his disciples, in Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be handed over, and they will kill him. Now, here we are, chapter 18. It will be in chapter 19, ten chapters later, that Jesus will arrive. Two weeks from today, our election will have him in Jericho, Jericho, the last settlement going down that Jordan River Road from Galilee to Judea, sits right on the northernmost bank of the Dead Sea. He will be just 17 miles away up that winding road to Jerusalem. He's getting really close now. Dr. Fred Craddock says in his commentary, two things are going on here. Only Luke tells us this story, by the way. Mark, Matthew, John, they do not have this story. Luke has it because surely the disciples now are getting discouraged. We will soon be in Jerusalem. I will be handed over. They will kill me. But Dr. Craddock says, think about the fact that Luke is not writing until 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's writing to a whole new generation who've been told maybe Jesus is coming back next week. Maybe next month, surely next year. And it's been 60 years. So they are losing heart. So he told them a story. Now, Dr. Brandon Scott, who has spent 40 years of an adult lifetime studying the parables, who holds a distinguished chair in New Testament studies at Phillips Theological Seminary, has said every parable is about the kingdom of God. Every parable. But you must be careful. Don't rush to conclusions. Look at the story carefully. I mean, right away he said, this dishonest judge, this unjust judge, is not God. And second of all, this little story never should have been used to beat up on people who pray for someone they love to get well from cancer, and when they don't get well, to say, well, you didn't pray hard enough. That's not the point of the story. Let's see what the points are. Number one, it is about a judge who has no fear of God. Dr. Brendan Scott says, this story is told into a Semitic society, an Asian society, where it's all about honor and shame. And this Greek word has to do with someone who know no shame a man who is unashamed, though he should have been most ashamed. 
Because if one has no awe in the presence and reality of God, one has no moral compass. That was Jesus' understanding. It's our understanding. One who believes that there was one God who created the heavens and the earth, who somehow blasted off into space billions and billions of stars, billions of galaxies of stars, 14, 16 billion years ago, when that one tells us how we should behave, we should pay close attention. But if one does not stand in awe of that creator, then one loses moral compass. Now, when we look at communities that seem to be trying really hard to do what God told them to do, we sometimes pick out extremes. In Israel, one sees the Hasidic Jews. They wear old-fashioned clothing. The men dressed all in black. They have black hats, they have black coats, they have black trousers, very white shirts. They let their forelocks grow down in front of their ears and they curl them. They are going back in time, but not to biblical times, just about 250 years ago when in Eastern Europe there was a movement to say no to the Industrial Revolution, to say no to moving into big cities where people are crowded together and lose their way. We have Christians with a very similar mindset in this country. We call them Amish. They dress the same. They still ride their buggies in and out of town. They still use horses to pull their plows, their rakes, their mowers, have no electricity in their homes. Recently, a reporter was given permission to interview some in the Amish community, and he asked one of these Amish fathers, what does the word community mean to you? And he said, just the other day, my son and I were plowing. We had a team of our finest horses pulling this plow. And we kept plowing till we got to the highest point in our farm. And I woe to the horses, tied the reins on the back of the plow, and I turned to my son and asked, how many teams of plowing horses can you see right now? Look all around. And he counted 13 teams of horses on accompanying farms. And I said to him, if I were to get down sick or die, those 13 teams would be plowing on your farm. They would be here for you. But if you have no sense of awe before the Almighty, where do you get a sense of right and wrong? Number two, he didn't respect people either. This was a renegade judge who wanted to stand before this guy. He is no respecter of people. Because you see, if you have this sense of awe about one God who started everything, then it has to mean somehow all of us are related. We're all related. Gail and I are so blessed to have six grandchildren right here in Tulsa. We know that. 
I came down the aisle a few minutes ago, and here was our oldest standing right by Gail. I just had to squeeze Abby just a second because she's so special to me, to her grandmother and me. We love these six. They are wonderful. We love seeing them grow, become these outstanding young people that they are. But I know your grandchildren are special too. You love them just as much. And I want to love them too. I want good to come to them also. Our Oklahoma weather's at it again. Gee, we have a cold day. We have a hot day. We have a cold day. We have a hot day. Already, we have set the earliest date in our history for hitting 32 degrees. You saw that a couple of weeks ago. Well, that same cold spell swept down from the Arctic for just a few days, and it got really cold in Canada. Did you see the story about the city bus driver? With a busload of people that morning, he's getting them to work. When those on the bus said all of a sudden, their driver started to brake slowly and pulled over to the curb. This was not a scheduled stop. He opened the doors of the bus. They were all watching. He got out and unlaced his shoes, took them off, and handed them to a homeless man who was walking down that freezing sidewalk barefoot. And he got back on the bus, closed the door, drove away. Well, those on the bus started texting people and saying, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And so at the end of his shift, here were the news people asking him, and he said, hey, I got another pair of shoes at my house. I saw him. He had none. He has none at his house because he has no house. I wanted him to have my shoes. In other words, he's my brother. She's my sister. That could be my grandchild, whom I want good things to happen to that one. Number three, this is about a widow woman. We've learned through the 39 scrolls of the Hebrew Scriptures that God has a special place in his heart for widows and orphans and foreigners. Over and over, they're mentioned in the great works of the prophets. How much God looks out for widows. You see, in biblical times, a woman without a man to fend for her was absolutely helpless. Obviously, Jesus is telling a story about a widow whose husband has died. And somehow the property has been divvied up. It was supposed to go to sons, if there were any. And if there were no sons, not to the widow, to the deceased's brothers. It was a man's world. And she's pounding on this judge's door day after day after day, saying, It's not right. It's not right. He ignores her. As long as he can. He ignores her. And then finally he says... If you read it in Greek, it's really graphic language here. It says, to keep this woman from giving me a black eye, it's the language of boxers. To keep her from beating me up, battering me, giving me a black eye, I'm going to give her what she wants. Just so she'll go away. It's about that widow who just keeps on knocking. Dr. Fred Craddock says, back in the 1960s, 
He was at a big gathering of clergy. Civil rights movement was in full sway. People were sitting in, in lunch counters and others were screaming, yelling horrible things at them. Police dogs were lunging at people who marched. He said an older black minister was asked to read the scripture for the day, and it was the scripture. And he read it, and then he said, unless you've stood at the door and knocked and knocked until your knuckles are bleeding, you don't understand about prayer. 400 years the Jews must have knocked at the door for God to do something about freeing them from Pharaoh. And finally one day God said to Moses, by George, I've had enough. I hear my people. I'm sending you back to Pharaoh to get my people. Moses said, I know how many charioteers. I know how many armed soldiers he has, how many swords, how many bows and arrows. And God said, he will let my people go. I will pound him until he does. And he got them out of Egypt. And he parted the waters and he led them back to the mountain and he gave them the Ten Commandments. But you have to keep knocking, hoping, and believing. But then Dr. Brendan Scott reminds us, what are we praying for? When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he tell us to pray for? We've been singing it. Dr. Pensera picked out a wonderful response to the prayers for us to sing all through Kingdom Tide this fall. This is my prayer. O Lord of all earth's kingdoms, thy kingdom come on earth. Thy will be done. That's the prayer. That's the prayer we're supposed to be praying. Email's a wonderful thing. I'm not into Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. I don't do that. But I can email. And every morning, first thing, I check in with my brother and sister down in Texas. Just see how everybody's doing. The other day, my brother said, I know you're always looking for a great story. Did you happen to see this one? And he sent it along. I had not seen it. Perhaps you did. Last weekend, down in Florida, they were having a children's triathlon. Now, you may have seen the big Iron Man, Iron Woman triathlons where they swim so far and bike so many miles and then run a marathon. Well, these, this was for little children. Uh, Floridians were trying to help their children eat smarter, exercise more. So this was a triathlon for children. But it was not without hard work. You were supposed to swim out into the Atlantic for 75 yards and go around a buoy and swim 75 yards back. That's pretty far, 150 yards. And then you're supposed to jump on a bicycle and ride four miles. And then you're supposed to jump off the bike and run another mile. One little boy, 11 years old, entered the triathlon. But he just had one good leg because he was six years old, he had cancer in the bone of his right leg. In a valiant effort to save his life, his whole leg was removed. Not just the calf, but calf, 
knee and thigh. His prosthesis begins just below his hip. There he was, ready to go. He swam 150 yards. He biked four miles and started to run. Just after he passed over one little hill, the screw came out of his knee and down he went. But the local Marines had been asked to marshal this event. And one of these Marines broke from his post and said to little Ben, hold on around my neck, that he scooped him up onto his back and started running. And five other Marines broke from their place and formed on either side and one in front. And they brought Ben home. And the crowd went wild. Because see, every once in a while we get just a glimpse of what it must be when widows and orphans and foreigners and little children with cancer finally have all things made right. Dr. Brandon Scott said, you see, the woman is the kingdom of God. It just keeps on coming and keeps on knocking. Amen.